choir and Brother Hamp and Paul and, and our AV uh, uh, audiovisual uh, team upstairs and, and um, also to uh, uh, um, uh, Duke. We threw him in there last second. We put him in the, I told him we threw him in the deep end of the pool. And so, uh, and he swam really well. And so we're, we're so thankful for his help this morning. But a thank you to everyone who, who did so, so, whoa. Are we getting there? All right. So, uh, so well this morning. We thank you for your hard work. And just to cover some announcements uh, that I know you're aware of, but just want to reiterate those. Of course, our IMB uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering, our end gathering will be next Sunday morning, the 24th. So we encourage you to be a part of that service. We'll have a time during our service to give uh, toward that. Of course, we have our Christmas Eve candlelight service. Um, and so we are inviting you to come and to bring your family to be a part of that. We will have our regular services in the morning of Sunday school and worship. And then we'll have a Sunday evening uh, time of worship, our candlelight service. It will start at 5 p.m. Um, what we're going to do is a journey of the gospel through the Bible is what we're going to do. And so we're looking forward to that. The scripture reading, the singing of carols and hymns, and of course uh, the lighting of the candles and hearing God's word uh, proclaimed. So we invite you to come and go ahead and invite your family. Let them know, hey, I know we're going to eat at so-and-so time, but we're going to go over here first and worship the Lord. I think it will be a wonderful time. Uh, to do that. And of course, always our Aberdeen Loaves and Fishes item of the month is the Ensure or Equate Nutritional Drinks. I know there's some downstairs already, but there is a plastic bin that you can drop that off. And uh, also, Pastor Mitchell came by this morning and gathered all of the coats and scarves and toboggans uh, that were donated by you all. And um, just a big thank you to you from him. And of course, I, I thank you as well uh, for donating and giving that as they give it to the kids over there um, at the Aberdeen Elementary School. But that being said, we have come uh, this um, evening uh, to, to worship and to proclaim the goodness of God. And so let us begin with a time of scripture reading, a call to to worship as we continue to read through Isaiah 43. The Lord has taken much uh, time in this text to declare who he is to the people of Israel. And now he writes, starting in verse 12, I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed. And there was no foreign God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Indeed, before the day was, I am he. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon, and bring them all down as fugitives. The Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, and make in a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power, they shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Do not remember, do not remember the former things, nor to consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to drink, to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. Would you pray with me, please? O righteous Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, offering you up praise 
for who you are and what you have done. Lord, we magnify your name as we look at creation and we see the handiworks of your hand. How you have distributed, how you have displayed and shown us your glory and your mercy and your grace. And how much more so when we look upon the, the work of redemption in your son Jesus Christ. Lord, as we sing and as we hear the word proclaimed, let us receive it by faith, rejoicing and having thanksgiving in our hearts to do what you have called us to do. Father, we ask now that you would bless us and keep us and make your face to shine upon us as we worship you. It is in Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. Ask everyone to get your hymn books as we sing Christmas Carol, O Come All You Faithful, number 89. This evening, take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Today, our text will begin in verse 5, one of the great and perhaps most loved passages in the New Testament that teaches us about the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so writing in such a way that he writes words breathed out by God himself, the very words of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those of the earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Lord God, we once again stand humbly before your word. Lord, recognizing though the depth and the breadth of this great passage. And standing before and gazing upon the glory, the exaltation, the majesty of the Lord Jesus as we look at these words, your words, enabling us to see his beauty, his majesty, and his humility. And Lord, we pray that as we study these words, your spirit would lead us to awe and reverence as we bow our knees before the Lord Jesus. As our tongues confess that he is Lord. And Lord, the application of his lordship Help us to show our love for the Lord Jesus through our obedience. And through the work of your spirit, may we be conformed to his image. And that the mind, may the mind that was in Christ also be in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we stand before this passage... Uh, you know, much, much, many, many trees have been killed in paper and ink spilled in writing about the person and work of Jesus that is revealed in this passage, his divinity, his humiliation coming in the form of man, his obedience to the Father, even unto death, even death on a cross, and now his exaltation, seated at the right hand of the Father and the great exaltation that will come at his return when every knee will bow. Those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of the great theological passages in our New Testament. But as we've talked about before, Paul's intent and recording this doctrine is not to teach. The church at Philippi, they understand this. They believe this. They believe in the deity of Christ. 
They believed that God became a man, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They understand the full divinity and the full humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That doctrine is not in dispute among the Philippians, the Philippian church. It's not something that they're dividing about. It's not something that they are questioning. And so Paul does not write this text to teach them the doctrine of the person and work of Christ. They understand that. They believe that. They hold fast to it. He's not writing to defend this doctrine. It's not in dispute at the church at Philippi. And so he does not write to teach. He does not write to defend this doctrine. But he writes to use this truth as an example to the people in the church at Philippi. He has called them. He has called them to unity. He said, yeah, I'm here in prison, and I might not ever get to come see you again. This imprisonment might end in my death, but I'm going to hear about you, and I want to hear that you are united, that you are standing fast in one spirit, that you have one mind and one purpose that you're striving together for the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to make my joy full. You have sent me this gift, and I appreciate that gift. But what would really warm my heart is for me to hear that you are like-minded, that you have one uh, love, one fellowship, one mind. And so he is writing to the church to call them, to call each individual member and each individual Christian to be united in mind, to have one mind. And that mind is the mind that was also in Christ Jesus. He calls us to be united in mind and have the mind which was also in Christ. And so now he is holding Jesus up as the great example, the perfect example of humility. He has told them, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus, he's not teaching doctrine, he's not defending doctrine, he is applying doctrine. The doctrine of the person and work of Christ applies to us, and we are to have the same mind that was also in him, the lowliness of mind, humility, not doing anything of selfish ambition or conceit, but seeking to serve, to serve the Lord God and to serve others. And you know, I, I confess, I... I have many times misunderstood and even misapplied this passage. As I've looked at this and I see Jesus humbling himself and not looking out for his own interest but the interest of another, I've always thought of of myself. Jesus is giving, uh, sacrificing his interest for my interest. Jesus is leaving the glory of heaven and coming to earth for me and and for for my interest. And, And certainly that's true, but that's not what's in this text. I've always thought of Jesus sacrificing his interest for the interest of sinners, coming to seek and to save that which was lost, and giving himself up for sinners. But when you look at this text, I'm not mentioned. Sinners aren't mentioned. 
And, and so it's not saying that Jesus gave up his interest to come and, and, and serve my interest or serve the interest of sinners. Who is it? Who is it? Well, we're mentioned that our mind ought to be like Jesus. But who is it that Christ is serving? Whose interest is he sacrificing his for? And what is the purpose? He sacrifices his interest for the interest of God the Father. And he does all that he does for the glory of God the Father. And so we look at this and Jesus serves. He sacrifices his interest. He gives himself away to accomplish the plan and the purpose of saving sinners. The Bible tells us that God, before the foundation of the earth, purposed to create for himself a people that would love him and delight in his presence forever. And he knew that it would be necessary for him to save those sinners from their sins. And God the Father made a covenant with God the Son that God the Son would leave the glory of heaven and come to earth, become human, become our representative, and, and, and fulfill the righteousness of the law. That he would fulfill righteousness so that his righteousness could be credited to those who believe. And that he would also fulfill the righteousness of the law against lawbreakers. The wages of sin is death. And God who is holy created us in his own image. That we might know him but we all sin against God and we deserve his wrath, his justice. But God the Son became a man and fulfilled all righteousness. The righteousness of the law, every jot and tittle. And then he fulfilled the righteous demands of the law against us lawbreakers as he died. And experienced the full force of God's wrath against everyone who had ever come to him in repentance and faith. And God raised him from the dead and has highly exalted him. And so Jesus left the glory of heaven to fulfill his plan and his part. In the purpose and plan of almighty God. To redeem sinners to himself. So that they might glorify him and delight in his glory forever and ever. Jesus gave himself away to serve the Father. For the glory of the Father. The glory of God the Father. And we look at this text and if we want to understand this text, we think of, uh, we, we, we ask a couple of questions. You know, what was his starting point? What did he do? Why did he do it? And what is the result? And then finally, the application of this text. How does this apply to all Christians, to all believers? And so what was his starting point? Paul tells us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And so we see that God the Son, the Son of God, from eternity past, has existed in the form of God. He is the radiance of God's glory. Equal with the Father in substance and majesty and glory from eternity past, eternally existing. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was the radiance of God's glory existing in the form of God. And he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. It was not something that he had to seek after. It was not something he had to chase. It was not something he had to pursue. The form of God, equality with God was who he was. His, his essence, who he is, and who he will always be. He did not pursue 
To be in the form of God is something that would add to his person because as the eternal Son of God, eternal God the Son, he always was, always is, always will be in the form of God, equal with God. It was not something that would add to his person because it was the essence of his person. He is God. He is fully God. He existed in the form of God. He did not have to chase after it, pursue it, to add to his being. Godness, he did not consider it robbery, and nor did he see it as something that he had to cling to as if he might lose it. Because unity with God, in the form of God, equality with God, is who he is. And so the starting point of his lowliness of mind is the place of all power, all glory, all sovereignty, all majesty in all of the universe, everything that is was created by him and for him. He's God of gods. He is equal with God. That's where he started. And then his lowliness of mind. What did he do? He existed in the form of God. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and took the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of men. And so he left the glory of heaven, the choirs of adoring angels. He left the glory of heaven and came to earth in great humility. Now, he never for a moment stopped being God. If he would have stopped being God, if anything would have taken away from his godliness, his godness, everything would have flown apart. Because the writer of Hebrews that tells us even when Jesus was in the womb of his mother, when he was laid in a manger, when he was growing in the household of a carpenter, when he was a 12-year-old in the temple with the fathers, the rabbis, he was holding all things together by the power of his word. He never ceased to be God. He did not empty himself of his divinity. And taking upon himself human nature did not in any way diminish the holiness, the dignity, the glory, the majesty, his equality with God. He added his human nature and that did not in any way diminish his divine nature. He never ceased to be God. And so when he made himself of no reputation, he is not lessening his person. But he is refusing to demand the rights, the privileges that were his as God. He refused to demand the dignity that he rightly possessed as God. And he allowed his glory to be veiled in human flesh. And he refused to use his power and his authority in order to serve himself. He refused to use his power to turn rocks into bread or for that matter to make bread out of nothing in order to end his fast and satisfy his hunger. 
He refused to use his dignity and privilege of God to, to require angels to come and save him if he had thrown himself down from the pinnacle of a temple. Fully God. Not losing any of his divine attributes, but refusing to use those attributes to serve himself. Instead, he emptied himself to serve the Father, to carry out His plan and His purpose and the Father's plan, God's plan, from the foundation of the earth to redeem sinful people to Himself. And so He became a man. He took upon Himself a human nature, became human in every way. He shared in our weakness. And as a man, He learned fully human, born the normal way, laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths, nursing at the breast of his mother, being taught at her feet and being taught the trade of a carpenter and growing in stature and wisdom as a man. And all the time, all the while, refusing to use his power to serve himself and refusing to demand the rights and privileges that were rightly his as God. He took the form of a bondservant and so many multitudes of commentaries have been talked about this word form, but what Paul wants us to see is how far he came. From the form of God to the form of a bondservant. He started in the form of God, and yet he took the form of a bondservant. And the English translators are, are, are good, or they're, 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 they're a little bit kind. There are many words that are uh, tr in the New Testament that can be translated servant. Deacon's one of them. But this word, this word is the word of the lowest possible servant, the lowest possible slave. We would be more familiar with the word slave. And so he existed from eternity past in the form of God. But he took upon himself the form of a slave. No rights, no privileges, no property, no dignity. The lowest possible slave. And so Paul wants us to see he was in the form of God. And he made himself of no reputation and came in the form of a bondservant, the form of a slave. And when he lived, he was in the likeness of men. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He experienced physical exhaustion. After ministering to folks, he got in a boat and fell asleep in the back. And these fishermen who had lived their whole lives on this boat, they're on that, on that sea. And they, the storm comes upon, upon the boat. And these seasoned fishermen, these sailors, these professional boatmen, they were convinced that this storm was going to kill them. The boat was being rocked and tossed. And, and they were bailing, doing everything they could to try to save themselves from this storm. And Jesus was so exhausted. 
That, that storm did not wake him up. They had to come and wake him up and say, don't you care that we're about to drown? Physical exhaustion, as you shared in our weakness. He came in the likeness of man, a, a real human body, real flesh, real blood throwing, flowing through real veins. And not only did he take the physical attributes and characteristics of man coming in a body, but he had all the human emotions. He was moved with compassion when he saw the crowds. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He was angry when he saw religious leaders loving their rules and regulations more than they loved people, suffering, hurting people. He was angry when he saw the glory of God corrupted by money makers in the temple. He came to the tomb of a man that he loved and he was moved in the very in his, in his guts his kidneys he felt the pain of grief and loss he was moved deep in his spirit John says and the most masculine man ever wept there at the tomb. And one of the things that surprises me the most is that another human emotion that we struggle to understand how Jesus could have it is Jesus was surprised. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple times we're told that Jesus marveled. He, he marveled at the, the faith of the, the centurion, the Roman captain. He marveled at the faith of a Syrophoenician woman. And so he became fully human. And yet his human nature did not in any way diminish his divine nature. And his divine nature did not in any way enhance his human nature. And so he who was in the form of God became the form of servant, a slave. Not demanding his rights, not demanding the dignity and the honor and the privilege that was rightly his as God. But instead in lowliness of mind. He humbled himself and became obedient. Again, obedient to who? Obedient to the Father. He sacrificed his interest for the interest of the Father. He submitted himself to his part, his role in the Father's plan. He was obedient to the Father, being equal to God in every way, existing in the form of God, not considering it robbery to be equal with God, but he lined up under the authority of the Father to do his part in God's plan to redeem sinful people to himself. He was obedient to the Father. He was not obedient to humans. If he was obedient to humans, he would have given them a sign in the skies to show that he was the, the Christ, the Messiah. If he was obedient to humans, he would have come down from the cross and saved himself. But he was obedient to the Father, knowing that if he saved himself, he couldn't save anybody else. And so his obedience was obedience to God the Father. 
And so when Jesus left the glory of heaven and came down to earth and dwelt among us and dwelt among sinful people and saw the the rejection, the opposition, the hatred that they had against him and even the, the lack of understanding of his disciples after three years, Lord, just show us the Father and that'll be good for us. He dealt dealt with all of that because of his obedience to the Father. He came to do the Father's work. He came to do the Father's will. He came to fulfill all righteousness. And he came to satisfy God's wrath from those that he had purposed to save. Jesus was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, and even death of the cross. And so he sacrifices his interest as a man in order to fulfill the interest, the plan, the purpose of the Father. He was obedient to God, even unto death, even death on the cross. the most horrifying, dehumanizing, agonizing form of death ever imagined. He was obedient. And so he who was in the form of God became the form of slave and then was lifted up on a cross to die on a tree to become the curse for us in obedience to the Father the only way the Father would save sinners so his starting point was equality with God in the form of God he became a slave took the form of a slave and was obedient even to death and even death on the cross and then verse 9 therefore Because of that, as a result of that, his making himself of no reputation, coming in likeness of man, humbling himself, obedient to the point of death, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so it seems to me in this text, he started in the form of God, equal with God. He humbled himself and came in the form of a slave, and was obedient even unto death, even death of cross, the death reserved for the most despicable of criminals, the most hated of people, even death on a cross, but now God has highly exalted him. And it seems to me that his position now as an exalted man is greater than where he started. He was in the form of God. He took the form of a servant. He was obedient even to death, even death on a cross. And now God has highly exalted him, and he is Lord. The Savior of the world. The Savior, the Redeemer of all who come to him 
in repentance and faith. God has highly exalted him, given him the name that is above every name. He was in the form of God, and now he eternally exists as fully God and fully man. Lord. Christ is Lord. God raised him from the dead. He ascended into heaven and took his place at the right hand of the Father. And you know, I think there's a great warning in this text. A warning to unbelievers. Notice that this text says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And why? What's the motivation of all this? The glory of God the Father. But that tells us that even those who in this life persist in their sinfulness and live for themselves, one day, their knees will bow before Jesus. And one day, their tongues will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And those who have persisted in unbelief through all their life, they will kneel before him and confess that he is Lord as a defeated, conquered enemy. Their knees will bow. Their tongues will confess that he is Lord. And then they will hear him say, Depart from me. I never knew you. There's a great warning in this passage. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Oh, may God grant us the grace to bow our knee humbly and voluntarily and confess that he is Lord to turn from our sins and find salvation from God's wrath. So there's a warning in this text, but that's not the point of the text. The point of the text is every single Christian, every single believer, every single person who has bowed the knee before the Lord Jesus and confessed him as Lord should have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Every single one. And that's what Paul says. I want you to come from all these different places, with all these different backgrounds and different experiences. I want you all united in one mind, and that's the mind of Christ. The mind that does nothing out of selfish ambition, that does nothing seeking glory for self. Every believer, every Christian, should follow the example in lowliness of mind, in humility. And so how do we follow that? Well, first, you know, Jesus' lowliness of mind, Jesus humbling himself, he never stopped being who he was. Lowliness of mind does not mean to think lowly of yourself, to say, oh, I'm worthless, oh, I can't do anything, oh, there's no place for me in the church, there's nothing I have to offer, there's nothing that I can bring. Now, loneliness of mind recognizes that we are created in God's image. We're image bearers of God. And yes, we sinned and that image was marred. 
But Christ came and died on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve. God raised him from the dead and he calls us to turn from our sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ. And you know, the Bible tells us that when we bow our knee before Jesus and we confess that he is Lord and we trust in him and him alone, we are born again, given new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm created in God's image. And, and if I've come to Jesus in repentance and faith, I am recreated by the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God works in me to conform me to the image of Christ. To produce the Christ-like character, the fruit of love and joy and peace and kindness and patience and gentleness and faithfulness and, and goodness and self-control. I... If I am a believer in the power of the Holy Spirit, I am being sanctified. I'm being conformed to the image of Christ from glory to glory. And not only that, the Spirit gifts every believer for work, service to the local church. Created in God's image, reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit and now gifted by the Holy Spirit for service in the church. Every single one, every single member. And so lowliness of mind does not mean deny who you are. If you're a child of God, you are created in God's image. You have been born by the Spirit. The Spirit is recreating you, conforming you to the image of Christ, sanctifying you, and He has gifted you for work in this body. If He's brought you in this body, He's brought you here specifically because of your giftedness to be a part of this body. And so, lowliness of mind, humbling yourself, doesn't mean denying who you are and saying, I can't do anything, there's no work for me, there's no job for me there. But it does mean that as you serve to the glory of God, sacrificing your interest to the interest of God like Christ, you don't do anything of selfish ambition or gain, vain conceit. You sacrifice your interest to the interest of God. And what is that? The building up of His church, the purity of His bride, that we might all grow up in unity. And not be blown around by any wind of every doctrine that comes along. But we will be perfected as we serve for the interest of God. And so, Jesus did not become less than he was when he took the form of a servant. And he's not calling us to become less than we are when we take the form of a servant. But he's telling us to give ourselves away for the glory of God and the building up of his church. And then third, we see that because of Jesus' obedience, God highly exalted him. Lifted him up. He's not just in the form of God now, but now he's the God-man, the Savior, the Lord of all, the Lord of his church. And Jesus, or it's, uh, Paul says it, James says it, Peter says it. That if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, what does it say? He will lift you up. He will exalt you. And so if I serve the church in my own strength, in my own ability, out of selfish ambition to make a name for myself, to build a kingdom for myself, or to, to, uh, uh, to advance my agenda or my purpose... Well, I might get the, 
the reward that I can, that I can make, the, the, the applause of men. But if, I'm, if I humble myself under God's mighty hand, he will lift you up in due time and you get the reward that only he can give. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Sacrifice your interest using the gifts that he's given you to serve, to build up the body. And he will lift you up. And I can think of no greater reward than to hear the words of the Savior in the form of God, in the form of the glorified, exalted man. Well done my good and faithful servant. Jesus was in the form of God. He took upon himself the form of a slave, sacrificing his interest for the will of the Father, obedient to the Father, even unto death, even death on a cross. And God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every and he calls every single Christian, every single believer, every single church member to have the mind that was also in Christ Jesus. Sacrificing your interest for the will of the Father, for the glory of the Father. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word, Lord, and we, we stand humbled before our exalted Lord, the Lord Jesus. God, as we think about the incarnation, the word becoming flesh, oh, we're just reminded of Jesus' love for you. And Jesus lining up, being equal with you in every way, but lining up to do the work that you sent him to do so that sinful people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every ethnicity might be called from the kingdoms of the earth into the kingdom of God. God, we pray that our knees would bow before King Jesus, our tongues would confess that he is Lord, and, Lord, that we would give ourselves away to serve. To serve your interest and to pursue your glory. And, Lord, we pray that you would find us faithful and that by your grace you would make it fruitful and that you would be pleased to add to our number those that are bowing the knee and confessing that Jesus is Lord for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.